Evening, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dexter or Vindo, and I am the executive pastor of Oikos Church. And I really hope that you do hang around for the celebration later. So it gives me a bit of time to, to come to you and, and, and greet you and, and get to know you. But before I start this message today, I have a question. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced a situation where you thought someone was dead, but then they just show up right in front of you? Have any of you experienced that? And, and, and how did you react? Anybody? Okay, no one. Okay, that's normal because that's me as well. I haven't experienced that someone I thought was dead show up in front of me. But this happened to my dad two years ago. And I want to spend a little bit of time to tell you this story. My dad, he grew up in Cambodia as a little kid in the era of Khmer Rouge. Now, Pol Pot, he crazy. When he got into power, he marshaled up this army and he started killing his own people. Cambodia had its own genocide. And my dad was only eight years old. And he so happens just to be at his uncle's house with, with all his cousins and the army swept by. And what happened was he, my dad witnessed his uncle and all his cousins get executed. And he became an orphan because he lost contact with his immediate family, his brothers and sisters, his father and mother. He just lost contact completely. And when my dad was on the execution ground, he was also on the execution ground. What happened was they tied him up and hanged him on a tree. But what happened, by God's grace, the soldiers completely forgot about him. Like They killed their uncle and their cousins, but my dad just hanging there on the tree. And he hangs there, tightened by this rope for a day, and the next day, the army, they came out and they saw that this kid is still alive. And so they decided to spare him if only that he works for them, if he becomes their digger. And so one of the first jobs that my dad was, was a grave digger. And he dug graves for his uncles, his cousins, and he also dug graves for the army. He just continued to dig holes for the army to dump their corpse in. My dad... He saw so many executions. There was an execution that he saw that stuck with him was he saw a hundred people getting ushered to the execution ground. On this little boat, crammed a hundred people. And do you know who was escorting them? Only two soldiers. One was holding the steering wheel of the ship and the other was just holding a gun. And my dad is thinking and he's saying to himself, like, why don't these people fight? They're not even bound there's just two guys, someone take the bullet, and, but you, can, you're, you're, you have a hundred people. You can easily throw these two off board. But no, they do not put up a fight. They do not resist. This is what happens when people lose all hope. When they're in their eyes, they have lost all life. So dad, he survived all of this Khmer Rouge kind of stuff. And he survived a whole bunch of other stuff, which is other stories for other times. But he comes to Australia and he started his new life here. And he was still looking for his family, any living relatives. But it was really hard because he can't even remember his last name. He can't even remember his name. He can't even remember his sibling's name. He can't even remember his parents' name. So it was super hard to look for his family, but he still tried and tried and tried. And he tries for 47 years. He tries for 47 years. And by that point, he gave up. 
Why? Because it's, it's nearly five decades. It's nearly half a century that he's been looking. He's, he tried all these different types of agencies, but it's really hard because he doesn't even know what they look like or their names. So it's super hard to find them. And so he gave up. But then two years ago, mum dragged him to Cambodia to face his trauma. And this is long story short, this is what mum said to him. Hey, look, we're, we're in Cambodia for a holiday. Let's try one last time to look for your family. Just one last time. And so mom and dad, they prayed. And what happened was, in a supernatural way, God helped my dad to remember exactly everything. So they hop on a taxi, and they say to the taxi driver, we'll pay you for the day, just go where I point. And, and so my dad would say, okay, keep going straight, now, now turn left, now turn right, now turn left, turn left. And they managed to find the exact house that my dad lived in 47 years ago. Even though 47 years, the roads have changed, the terrain has changed, but God led my dad and mom to the exact house. But no one was there. Only what was there was two photos of this elderly couple. And my dad knew this must be his parents. And then they, they asked around the neighborhood and some lady knew some other person. And within two hours, my dad found living relatives. He found two older sisters and four brothers, six living relatives. Now, this was crazy for the Nguyen family because I grew up on my dad's side with no cousins at all. I, I didn't even think they exist. But then on that certain day, I had like 20 plus cousins add me on Facebook. It was crazy. Now, this was the reaction. I asked Dad, how did you react when you thought they were dead? This, this, is, this, is, this is what he tells me. This is where was their reaction. Dad was telling them, I thought you guys were dead. And they said, we thought you were dead because we saw you on the execution ground. But they were alive and they were joyously hugging each other. But today, what I really want to talk about is a man who did go to the execution ground who did really get executed, who really did die, and who was really buried. But three days later, the stone rolled away, and he showed himself to first a group of women, a lady named Mary Madeline, and then two guys, random guys walking on the road to Emmaus. And only then, like he was walking with them the whole day, but they didn't recognize him, only till dinner time that they recognized him. And so these two on the road to Emmaus, they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. And indeed, Jesus decides, yeah, I, I think it's about time for me to show up to my disciples. I wonder how they are going to react. Today, we're going to look at how they react. And today, what we're going to observe is three things. What Jesus says, what Jesus shows, and how Jesus sends. What he says, what he shows, and how he sends. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that we know our Lord Jesus Christ has risen. We pray that your Holy Spirit reveal him in this space and in this place. May your glory be just permeating our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the scene starts off with, with the disciples. They're all gathered in this room, and I'm assuming that they're gathering around in a circle or standing in a circle. 
Now, isn't that human nature? Because later on, when this is all over and when we're all eating, you'll see various little circles. It's just human nature that we gather up in and we talk in a circle. So let's say they're in a circle. They were discussing about the news and about what they've heard. Yeah, yeah, there's this lady named Mary Madeline. She came in and she's saying, you know, Jesus is alive. And the disciples have doubts. First off, Mary Madeline, she's a girl, and we don't take girls' testimony seriously. And not only that, Mary Madeline, she's been possessed before, demon-possessed before. I've seen Jesus. Sure, Mary, you've seen a lot of things, haven't you? And then there's these two other guys on the road to Emmaus, and then they came back, and then they said they hanged around with Jesus the whole day, but only recognized him at dinner time. And another disciple goes, yeah, nah, nah, that doesn't make sense. And next minute, what happens is Jesus shows up among them, amongst them, in their midst, right smack bang in the center. Now, all the disciples, they say they were shocked, they were startled, they were frightened, like they've seen a ghost. And in John's account, it tells us it was nighttime. So this ups the level of spookiness. This, they, they were already had their doors locked at night in fear of the Jews. They were fidgety because they thought the Jewish authorities were out there to get them. And a figure appears in front of them, pretty much out of nowhere in the darkness, like straight out of a horror movie. So what happens is different disciples have different reactions. Some screamed. Ah! Some were petrified with no sound coming out of their mouth, but their eyes are bulged out and then starts rolling back until you only see white and their mouth is foaming. And another disciple goes, Jesus Christ, literally. You can find this in the NIV, the New Ones International Version. <laughs> Hence why... As soon as Jesus made his entrance, he had to say to them, peace be with you. It almost seems like he's telling his disciples, peace, just chillax, guys, it's me. So my first point to you tonight is look at what Jesus says. He first starts off with, peace be with you. Now, what does this mean? In the ancient world, this was a way of greeting. This is, this is what people would say to one another when they see one another. Peace be with you. It's like today when we say hello, or what's up, or good day, mate, or konnichiwa, guten tag, niho ma, taco, or whatever way you, you greet people. But I don't think that was all to it. I don't think this was all just a greeting. Because Jesus says this twice, peace be with you in John's account. He says it twice. Like you don't say hello, and then five minutes later you say hello again. That's, that's an awkward conversation. You don't do that. So when Jesus says peace, this word peace in the Greek word in its original language means erine, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. Peace. It's a type of peace that is all-encompassing. It talks about a peace with God. Jesus is saying you are not at war with God. You are in a domain of peace with Him where your relationship can prosper with Him. That's what He means. Now, this is very important. Because before Jesus can send any of us into missions, you got to know you have peace with God. Otherwise, you will go out and do things thinking that you need to accomplish things 
to have peace with God. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Jesus, he comes to you first and he brings shalom peace. A very different type of peace from and, and this is so different to all the other religions. Other religions will say, you need to pray in a lotus position and say, I'm on some mountain. And maybe God will be good with you. Or you do everything that they deem to seem good or else you're going to turn into a mosquito. So you do all these good and then if you have enough merits, maybe you can say, God, we good with a question mark because you can never be so sure in other religions. But Christianity sings of a different tune. As you can see in this passage, Jesus comes to those who abandoned him, who failed him, who denied him, who had doubts about him. And Jesus says, peace. In other words, he's saying, me and you, we're good. Not with a question mark, but with an exclamation mark. Now how sweet would that now how sweet have that would have sounded in the disciples' ears? Who may be feeling guilty right now, who's feeling fearful, they know they deserve it. They, they, they know that they denied him, they, they rejected him, they, they, they ditched him. They deserve to be scolded, they deserve to be condemned, they deserve to be judged, but look what Jesus says. He comes and he brings them what? He brings them peace. Look, church, no matter how bad you are, no matter how much you've failed God, how far you have strayed, or even if some of you have backslided and only come to church on Easter and Christmas, no matter what kind of sin you have committed, today I want to be Christ's ambassador and say, and represent him and say, I have come to offer you not judgment, not wrath, but peace. And look at the situation. The disciples are in a remote place somewhere having their doors locked because the Bible tells us they feared the Jewish authorities who killed Jesus because they thought that they were hanged around Jesus too much and now they're going to be implicated because of hanging with Jesus, being associated with Jesus. Yet Jesus still comes in the midst of their fear. Peace will come and stand when fear surrounds you. Here's what I mean. It's oftentimes when, isn't it? It's oftentimes when we are most fearful, most vulnerable. It's in those times that Jesus makes himself powerfully known. I don't know if you experienced this, but I as a pastor experience this all the time. I, I get scared so much. I, I, I'm scared. I, I fear. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I'm leading this church right. I don't know if I'm a good leader. I don't know if my sermon's going to suck and fail the listeners. I fear that I'll be tempted into worldliness. I've lost count of how many times I've been scared and I cried out to God. And every time I cry out, God, I don't know if I'm able to do this well. He comes. He comes. I know Jesus is speaking to somebody tonight. You may be looking for peace by locking yourselves up in a room somewhere, you've built walls around you, you've isolated yourself so you wouldn't be hurt. But do you really think those walls can protect you from troubles, trials, and tribulation? No. 
but I want you to know what Jesus says to you tonight. I, Jesus, have come into the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your fears and failures, in your time of need to tell you peace. I come back from life to death to also give you and speak to you and speak life into you. And I want you to bring you peace, peace that, peace, a peace where the world cannot offer. I want to offer you peace in its, in its wholeness. Even though you are in a season of unemployment, even though you are going through financial difficulties, maybe your grades were so bad and you messed up last semester. Maybe you're in a relationship and it's breaking apart and you are dealing with breakup. Maybe you feel alone, isolated, bitter. You have anxiety. You have depression. I understand that. But I also want to offer you peace. In Ephesians 2 verse 14, it says, it's Jesus himself. He is our peace. Jesus, what he's offering is himself, the Prince of Peace. Now, for example, if you're going through financial struggle, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of money. No, 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 no. He is giving you something way better. Himself. He doesn't promise you a new girlfriend or a new boyfriend straight away. No, no. He is offering you himself. But still, at this point, we go, we look at the story. The disciples are still not convinced. Which comes to my second point. Look at what Jesus shows. The Bible says he shows them his hands, his feet, and his side. Now what Jesus was really showing them was his scars. There was nails, pierced hands and feet, and the pierced side that was pierced by a spear. Now just think for a minute. Just think. Jesus, you come back in a perfect resurrected body. And you keep your scars when you want to have like the smoothest skin, the most glowy, glowiest and shiniest skin. Because if this was me, I would add a six-pack, biceps, tricep, detroit. I know, just go to the gym decks, but why do you keep your scars? You had a completely new body, but why do you keep your scars? A few reasons. One. Jesus kept his scars because they have become a part of his identity. Here's what I mean. You know my dad couldn't even remember his, his name, his parents' name. or He couldn't even remember what his siblings looked like. So how did he know that he really found his siblings? Dad, how did you know it wasn't a scam or that you got catfished? This is what my dad said. He told me when he saw his siblings, true story, when the brothers met up, they all pulled down their pants and they showed off their scars. Hey, remember that time I got impaled by a ox? Yeah, the scars right here. And my uncle, my dad's younger brother, he also pulls down his pants and say, look, 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 remember this? Remember this? When you were playing with fire and you burnt me here, now there's a bold patch. Hair never grows there anymore. By their scars, they recognized each other. The scars that Jesus showed to his disciples were his identity. The identity that the God-man has really died on the cross for them, but have risen again. Also with scars, we view it very differently today. Scars in the ancient world, 
Let's say a soldier goes into battle victorious and he comes back. Yes, there may be a big scar across his face, but he can still walk around society with his head held high. Why? Because those scars were his badge of honor and glory. And scars has a story to tell. It is proof that he did go into the battlefield and he came back alive to tell the tale. Charles Spurgeon says, The wounds of Christ, the scars of Christ are his glories. They are his jewels. They are his precious things. To the eyes of the believer, Christ has never been so glorious, never been so fair. What Charles Spurgeon is saying that it is Christ's scars is the very things that he uses to woo our very souls. Because scars tell a story. Who here has a scar in their body? Anybody? Oh, there's a lot of you. Church, what I want you to do is just do ice break later on. <laughs> Don't take your pants off. <laughs> but to those who raised up their hands, you go ask them about their scars. Because every scar attached to it is a story. Now, the recent Marvel movie, before Endgames, I can't wait to watch that movie, Captain Marvel, no spoilers here, it talks about the young Nick Fury and how he got the scars on his face and how he lost that eye. Scars tell a story. And the scars of Christ also tells us a story. That Jesus, our King, has gone to the battlefield in our sake. And He did take upon the shame, the guilt, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the nail-pierced hands and feet, the spear, the cup, the wrath of God. But three days later, He rose again. And that is proof that death has lost its sting. It is very proof that of His divine love for you. And as he shows his disciple, look at what I have done for you. That's what Jesus is showing. So we already talked about what Jesus says. We're at peace with him. And we've seen what Jesus shows us. Look look at what I went through for you. Now I'm going to send you. That's my last point. Because before he can send his disciples Onto mission, they need to know that they have peace with God, that they are loved by God. That's the scars. Only then can they go on mission for God. And in John accounts, it says, How I was sent by the Father, that's how I'm sending you. Sending us for what? Because look look at verse 23. It's this weird verse. And it talks about those who you forgive will be forgiven. Those who you don't forgive won't be forgiven. Now that doesn't make sense because we know we can't forgive sin because that's only Jesus can do that. And we know we can't even forgive our own sins. How can we save others? Now it doesn't make sense until you turn to Luke's account. The very same events. Now in Luke's account... We are told that Jesus opened up their minds for them to understand Scripture, that Christ had to suffer, that He will rise again from the dead, and repentance of forgiveness of sins will be preached, will be preached in His name to all the nations. 
Now you add those two accounts together, what it means is, what, what is Jesus, what are you sending us to? This is what he's sending you to do. That is to preach what Christ has done, how he had died and how he rose again. That if they repent, your listeners repent, that their sins will be forgiven. Now who is this message for? It says, to all the nation. It means everyone. To the nations, everyone. Now hang on a minute. Let's think this through, Jesus. To the nations? That, that, that seems pretty hard. We don't have jet planes or cars yet. We only have donkeys. That's going to be hard. How are we going to get to across the world? Yeah, it will be hard if you try to do it alone. But in both accounts, it indicates to us we won't be doing it alone because Jesus imparts his Holy Spirit for us to do mission. As he sends us, what he's saying is um, he's going to go with us. Now, the group of disciples, a motley crew, a squad of mishaps, all timid, all scared, full of cowardice, hiding in society, in their little corner, in their little house somewhere, something changed that night. If you look at church history, and in tradition, you know all of these disciples died horrible ways, except for the disciple John. All of them were tortured, were persecuted, was executed for the faith that they had. Now, people won't die for a lie. And now these are totally sane men. Peter. Peter, the Peter who denied him three times because he was scared that he was going to die. What happens is he believed Jesus Christ did rise so much that he went around preaching it and he becomes a prominent leader of the, of the church in Jerusalem. But at the end of his life, he gets crucified upside down for his faith. Doubting Thomas, we'll talk about him more in detail next week. Doubting Thomas, who was doubtful, goes and proclaimed the gospel in Persia and India. But he met his end when spears impaled him. When he was telling people about Jesus. Now what happened? These disciples being so afraid of death, locking themselves up in a house and shivering. Where did they get this courage from? I'll tell you where they got it from. When you encounter a risen Christ in such a way, You can't help but change. The disciples birth forth like the floodgates of the heavens, spreading the gospel. Today, Oikos Church, do you believe you can do the same? Jesus didn't send his disciples out with just a command, just just go. No, no. He breathed on them. He sent his spirit with them. When he was saying, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. Church, Oikos Church, you have my breath with you, my spirit, my peace, all the evidence that I have shown you. I want you to go in the world and be me in the world. How I have loved you, I want you to love each other. How I have glorified the Father, I also want you to make God look awesome and great. Care in such a way that brings warmth to people's hearts. Be different. In other words, altogether, Represent me well. And if you're here today and you don't know much about this Jesus Christ, 
that I'm talking about. My prayer for you is that He reveals Himself to you. That inside your hearts, you can see your Saviour's scars. For some odd reason, you can actually picture it. Picture a God who, a God-man who bores scars for you. What do you do if you see that? One last story I'll share with you tonight. There was a boy who was so ashamed of his mother, so embarrassed of his mother. Every time when they were in public, he would never tell his friend that that woman was his mother. Why? Because his mother had to him the ugliest hands. They just look horrible. Even when he was young, as the mother and him was, would be to cross the street, as his mother would try to reach out to hold his hand, he would put them in his pockets because he doesn't want to touch those ugly, scarred hands. Only when he was older, one of his mother's friends came to him and said, you know what? You know, when you were an infant, You were in a house fire and your mother disregarded her life and using those very hands that you call ugly and scarred to shield you from those flames. So if you are here tonight and you can actually see the scars inside your skull, inside your soul, inside your very spirit tonight, you see the scarred hands of Christ. I beseech you not to run away from it, but run towards His loving embrace into those hands that spread out on the cross saying, I love you. Look at how much I love you. As far as from the east is to the west, see how far I have removed your sin. And my prayer is that you decide to build a relationship with Him tonight. This is your choice no one's here is going to force you. Let's say this instant your heart stops beating and you take your very last breath. And let's say heaven really did exist and you're at the gate of heavens and you see some angels and they say, why do you think you can come in? What made you so worthy that you can come in? You know what I always say? I would say, I don't. I don't. I'm a sinner. I've done so many bad things. I am not worthy. I am ruined. I am wrecked. Even with all the little good works that I've done, don't even account to much. But He, He said I could come. He said I could come. He's covered everything that I've done, forgiven me. And all I said to him was, I am yours. Church, with all eyes closed, I want to ask those of you who don't know about this Jesus Christ, and if you can really see his scars and his 
scarred hand reaching out for you tonight, don't, don't smack that hand away. Grab hold of it. I'll ask you, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, I'll just ask you if you would like to raise your hands. Thank you. I see you. God sees you. God sees you. Is there anyone else? If you want to accept Christ into your life tonight and say, I am yours. Let me quickly pray for you. The Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the salvation. I thank you for the hand that was raised. Lord, we know that all of heaven is celebrating, Lord, and I pray that this is just the beginning of a beautiful relationship, Lord. I know that you're always going to be there for that person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, may you rise and let's continue to worship our Lord.